Well, I'd like to welcome everybody aboard. Thank you for joining in on Talking Bass in PDX, the Bass and Warm Water Fishing Forum as we talk fishing in the Northwest. Hi, I'm Don Clark, and I'll be your host. I'd like to thank everybody for taking the time to listen to the podcast. I know that there's a lot of things that you can be doing and listening to, but I appreciate you listening to our podcast. And this is your forum for bass and warm water fishing. If you enjoy the show, please tell your friends about the podcast. In this long forum, we can take the time to find out more information than you could find in, say, just a quick article or something that you might find on social media. Try to see during this podcast if you can find out what CPR stands for in kayak fishing. I think you'll be very interested in what CPR stands for. Well, the weather is warming. Days are getting longer. I have been out on the water with temperatures of 54 degrees. Now, there were a lot of other boats. They were fishing for salmon, so I was not able to get as many hours of fishing in as I'd like, but uh, we, we did have some fun in this late part of April. But here we are, coming into May, and it's time to get fishing. Now, I'm hearing a lot of reports, and I'm seeing a lot of great fish caught, so it is time to get out and get fishing. In the past few episodes, I've had guests on from several clubs talking about their club and how to join. Well, back in October of last year, I interviewed Kagan Panrats about kayak fishing, and especially bass fishing from a kayak. Well, this podcast was very well received. I had many emails commenting on the great information, and Kagan did a great job on the podcast. Well, I'd like to thank Kagan for introducing me to Marvin Forte, the tournament director of Oregon Kayak Bass Fishing, OKBF, and I hope that this podcast will answer a lot of questions that you may have as to how to get involved with not only bass fishing from a kayak, but tournament fishing. They've got some great ways that you can get involved, and you don't even have to necessarily fish as a group. You can go out on these challenges that they have. It is great. Well, now let's get to the interview with Marvin Forte of Oregon Kayak Bass Fishing. Now, I'd like to welcome Marvin Forte to the uh, podcast today. Marvin is the Northwest Tournament Director for Kayak Fishing Northwest. Marvin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Well, I had a lot of interest in kayak fishing when I did a podcast back in October uh, with, I believe, one of your uh, members, uh, his name's Kagan, and he, uh, he described the way he got into fishing, but I wanted to get a little more to the source and talk a little bit more about uh, folks who want to join in on some of your tournaments, possibly even join into to your club, and so I thought I'd have you on and, uh, and get some of those questions out of the way. Now, what I'd like to do, though, is start off with how did you get into warm water fishing and into specifically into bass fishing? Well, uh, you know, I guess it was in my blood. My, uh, my dad grew up uh, fishing and hunting his whole life in, in Tennessee. And um, with his uncle, uh, who was an avid uh, angler and hunter. So I was born in Alabama, 
and started fishing when I was probably about two or three years old, catching bluegill and brim, as they call them in the south. Uh, you know, any kind of sunfish is a brim down there. So, you know, I started fishing for those as a young kid, and then we moved uh, a couple of times. My dad got transferred through work, and we moved a couple of times, and I ended up in southern New Jersey when I was about seven years old. By that time, my interest in fishing was, was strong. My dad wasn't as interested in fishing anymore, but he still, he still would take me. So we used to go regularly. And being in southern New Jersey, I, I had the choice of fishing salt water uh, or warm water, fresh, fresh water. There were a lot of lakes and, and rivers that I could fish as well in that part of the country. And I did a little bit of both, but I really gravitated towards the, the freshwater stuff. So that would have been uh, sunfish, chain pickerel, which you know, just like a little pike, basically a chain pickerel is. Largemouth bass. There were no smallmouth there, so it was really all all largemouth. But I was about 10 years old fishing with my dad at one of these lakes and throwing night crawlers out with a bobber. And you know, sunfish usually they they hit your worm and that bobber bounces, boom, 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 boom. And you know it's the sunfish, and you set the hook and bring them in. Great. A lot of fun. Well, this one time, my bobber just slowly sank below the surface, very slowly. I'm like, what's going on? So feel resistance on the line. I set the hook, and all of a sudden this bass jumps up out of the water. And I reel it in, and that was my biggest fish at the time. Of course, memory is clouded, but according to what my dad said at the time, who I, I trust pretty well, it was probably about a five-pound bass which is a big fish for, uh, you know, the Northeast. And so that really got me hooked, you know, catching that one big bass. I was like, oh, I got to do that again. So then I really started to focus on, on bass and learned a lot more about how to catch them and, and got a little bit better at it uh, all the way through my teens and into my 20s. And then I kind of stopped fishing a little bit at that point. I didn't fish as much. Um, until sometime later, I got back into it when I was living in, in Arizona, of all places, you know, the desert. There's a lot of big bass in Arizona. So that's where I really got back into fishing uh, and then eventually into kayak fishing. Wow, what a story. I, uh, there's nothing better than, uh, you know, a successful catch, which takes you to, you know, I like that kind of fish, and you start catching them. And that is... Um, that's a really that's an interesting way to get going on it. So now it burned in my brain for sure. That that memory is uh, is <laughs> vivid in in my uh, recollection. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, that that is just. Uh, I mean, I got fishing, you know, just by going to ponds and reservoirs and things, and and then uh, you know we caught a few fish, and then it was like, okay, here's how you catch bass, and that that's kind of how I learned. So it was a little different than than just. You know, catching one. Yeah, I just got lucky. Yeah, exactly. Now you make your way up here to the northwest. I'm assuming because of work and that kind of thing. And how long have you been fishing up here in the northwest? Uh, I moved here uh, a little over three years ago. I I was in Phoenix for um, over 20 years, Phoenix, Arizona, and um, and then I moved up here about three years ago. Uh, my girlfriend and I. Uh, bought her grandparents' house. They had passed away, and the house was going to go on the market. So we bought their house. We had kind of been looking up here anyway. She grew up in this this part of the country. We're about 20 miles outside of Portland, and I've uh, been fixing the house up ever since. But um, you know, I, it just really appealed to me coming up here and being able to 
fish in the summer and not melt. <laughs> and uh, be able to fish for a lot of smallmouth, which I love to fish for. You know, good weather, lots of water, lots of places to go. And, uh, yeah, it's it's been great. I've really enjoyed uh, living up here and fishing up here. Yeah, I think it's... Um I think it's kind of a well-kept secret of the Northwest. You know, the uh, the temperatures up here are not bad. Uh, the fishing up here can be outstanding, depending on uh, where you want to go. Uh, and I, you know, I watch a lot of the fishing tournaments, you know, down south, and I'm watching their fishing, and I'm thinking to myself, man, it's hot, it's it's humid, it's got to be uncomfortable to be out there fishing. And if they only knew a little bit about the Northwest. You know, but then I go, oh, no, maybe not. Maybe we shouldn't tell them. Maybe we shouldn't tell them. That's right. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I I know exactly what you mean. We're sort of, of course, the redheaded stepchildren of the fishing world, being warm water anglers and and especially bass anglers here. The the salmon and steelhead guys kind of look down their noses at us. And I I do fish for for steelhead as well. I haven't haven't gone salmon fishing yet, but I I do fish for steelhead. It's interesting because... Like you say, I mean, we have some world-class bass fishing, uh, especially smallmouth. You know, you look at the Columbia River, the Snake River. I mean, it, it's it's pretty hard to beat. I have I have fished in the Susquehanna River, and I've fished in a lot of great smallmouth rivers around the country. The Columbia hold stands up to any of them. You know, it, it's it's really a solid fishery. Oh, a- absolutely. And I um, I had the opportunity here a few months ago to. Um to interview a gentleman up at um, on the uh, on the Upper John Day, and it's a guide service for bass fishing, and uh, it, it, it's still out still out there on the uh, on on my um, list, and it's um, Maha um, Guide Service, and I mean it's a world class uh, fishery. So you know how the word doesn't get out, I'm not sure. Although I will tell you that when we put the podcast out, uh, I looked. I thought that I thought that mostly Northwest people would would follow the podcast, and we would you know we'd get a few um, you know people uh, here and there. But uh, the podcast actually goes out into 17 other countries. So uh, who knows? Someone may be listening. Go, hey, I'm going to Oregon, and I want to fish, you know, one of these rivers or one of these uh, lakes. So who knows what what could happen? That's it. Um, uh, what's your personal best? Uh, my personal best largemouth would have been in Arizona, um, <clears throat> 25-inch largemouth that weighed a, I, the scale I had was not, um, you know, it didn't have decimals, so I can't tell you with them decimals what it was, but it was about 11 pounds. And, you know, that, the funny thing is, in Phoenix, because of the heat, the bass grow really fast there. So a bass that big is a lot younger than, than a big bass here. And I could pretty much count on catching an eight-pounder every year in Phoenix. I would pretty much always catch at least one eight-pounder a year. And, and I caught two or three that were around 10 or just over 10 um, in the time that I was there. So, you know, there's some big largemouth there um, for sure. Smallmouth, my biggest, is about um, 22 inches and probably about uh, six pounds. And I've pretty much tied that in a bunch of places. I caught one in Canada that size. I caught a couple on the Susquehanna River in, in Pennsylvania that size. And I've caught a couple on the Columbia around that size. 
Yeah, that's a that's a really exceptionally nice length for up in the northwest. Uh, I'm not sure about other parts of the country, but uh, certainly a 22-inch uh, smallmouth is a really nice fish up here. Our water is a little cooler up here. The fish don't grow quite as fast. So, you know, like you said, there takes them a little bit to get up to uh, to a nice size. But, um, I, you know, I feel like with smallmouth, we stand toe-to-toe with anybody in terms of size. Um, I, I mean, I, you're absolutely right. They're a little older fish here probably, although smallmouth are, you know, they, they don't mind cold water. Mm-hmm. Um, largemouth. You know, you're not going to catch a 25-inch largemouth here. Even if you caught a fish that old, it's going to be shorter than that. It's going to be short and fat. It's not going to be long and and wide like the the ones in Texas or uh, Southern California or Arizona. And then you get into the Florida strain bass, and those get crazy big giant fish. You know, you, you're not going to catch something like that up here. But a smallmouth, I don't care where you live in the country, if you catch a 20-inch smallmouth, that's a big smallmouth, you know. That, that's a really good smallmouth. That is. That's a yeah. Twenty inch, twenty inches and bigger. You you've you've caught a nice one. And what's your kind of go to lure or plastic? What what do you like to throw? Uh, you know, I I really mix it up a lot, and I, I try to purposely change techniques often, and and learn new techniques so that I can get better. I, I do a fair amount of fly fishing too, and that has informed a lot of my gear fishing, and vice versa. My my gear fishing informs my fly fishing because I think the, the more different stuff you try, the more you learn about what what works and doesn't. Um, I, I mean, of course, I throw a lot of soft plastics, um, especially when the bite is is slow. Throw finesse stuff, but I also love throwing power stuff. I love throwing spinner baits and and even inline spinners for smallmouth. Um, crankbaits and, and jerkbaits and, uh, you know, those are all good. But, you know, uh, let's be honest, when I fish tournaments and stuff, a lot of times we're throwing a Ned rig or a drop shot. If the bite is slow and, and we've got to get five fish, um, that's, that's what's going to work a lot of times. So i got to be adaptable. Yeah, that's that's the whole key is, uh, you know, when we're out uh, just fishing for fun, you know, we try different things and and different lures. But when when you turn the heat on in the in the in the uh, tournament the world, then all of a sudden the team gets tightened down to just a few players, you know. That's it, and you know, we we have a kind of a running line with it. That's that's true. You know, it's a cliche because it's true. We um we're out there with. You know, anywhere from four to eight rods usually on a kayak is is not unusual for somebody to carry. And so if I'm out there with five or six rods and and lots of different baits tied on, I'm going to be throwing lots of different stuff until I find a fish, and then I'm going to stick with that a little longer. And then if I establish a pattern, if I can catch two fish or three fish on that bait, well, then I'm going to be throwing one rod and one bait the rest of the day, most likely. You know, that's that's most likely what's going to happen. I mean, there are days where nothing seems to be a pattern and you just junk fish all day and keep changing it up and keep catching fish here and there. But uh, but most of the time, it's funny, you know, you throw one rod. You bring all this stuff and then you only throw one. Well, and that's a, a great segue into exactly where I wanted to go. Because you're the tournament director for the Northwest, for Kayak Fishing Northwest, I wanted to let folks know that there's a a kayak 
tournament group that they can delve into because there are more and more people it seems like every day that I either see kayaks on their car or I see them out on the river and to me there's several things about the way you guys tournament fish and, and, we'll, and we'll get to that as we, as we talk about it that I absolutely love but I also like uh, kayaks because you can get into places that I can't get to boat with a boat and you can get in a lot quieter than I can so tell me a little bit about kayak fishing Northwest Sure. So Kayak Fishing Northwest has sort of, and to first to address kayak fishing in general uh, that, that you brought up, you're absolutely right. It is the fastest growing segment of the fishing world uh, today. Explosive growth, especially in the last five or six years, um, it's really grown and, and it's just a, a huge market segment now for, for fishing. And as a result, you know, bigger companies are putting more and more money into it and, and pushing it and more kayaks on the water, better kayaks on the water, so more opportunities for anglers, which is great. Kayak Fishing Northwest, I guess the origin of it really goes back six years ago. Aaron Roberts started Oregon Kayak Bass Fishing, and he was running tournaments, uh, both in-person tournaments and online tournaments every year. And then about three years ago when I moved here, I, I fished in those tournaments as, as an angler, and became friendly with Aaron. And then Aaron was ready to kind of move on in his life. He had some, some stuff going on where he just couldn't put the time in, into it that he needed. So he asked me if I was interested in taking it over. And right around that time, what he had been working on was uh, partnering up with Washington Kayak Bass Fishing, uh, which was a comparable club up in Washington. And at that time, one of our sponsors was NRS, and so NRS had expressed to us that they were interested in, in us running an Idaho division. So that's when we came up the, with the idea, Aaron really came up with the idea of Kayak Fishing Northwest. And he engaged me to help him come up with some of the brand development for that and what it would look like and the, you know, the logos and how it would work. Um, so Kayak Fishing Northwest is sort of the umbrella or the governing body, I guess you could call it for those three clubs, for Idaho Kayak Bass Fishing, Oregon Kayak Bass Fishing, and Washington Kayak Bass Fishing. Those three divisions run as, as clubs, and they each have five live tour events that, um, that are counted, and, and usually one or two opens as well. And then they have uh, monthly online challenges every, every month from, you know, like March through October. Um, we our numbers are growing exponentially this year. We're seeing really explosive growth. Uh, we saw steady growth the last three years, but this year it's just kind of crazy. The the numbers are are off the chart. They're much bigger than we were expecting. Uh, probably close to double what we were expecting. But yeah, if anybody's interested in checking it out in more detail, everything's on the website kayakfishingnorthwest.com. Um, we're also on Facebook, so you can look it up on Facebook, and we've got Facebook groups for all of those different clubs, but Kayak Fishing Northwest will get you to all of them. That's the, the gateway. If you live in any one of those three states, then you would want to check out your own state uh, group. And That's right. Uh, although we do encourage people to, to go back and forth between those divisions. 
when you join up as a member of Kayak Fishing Northwest, and this is what makes us a little different than most of the local clubs, you join Kayak Fishing Northwest, well then you can fish in any tournament in any of those three states with that one membership. Um, and we have anglers who regularly, especially like between, say, Portland and Seattle, it's, it's not that far. You know, I, I travel further in Oregon than, <laughs> than it takes to drive up to Seattle. So um, we'll see a lot of the Washington anglers come down here and fish when we're fishing in the Albany, Portland area. And same thing, some of our guys in the Albany, Portland area will go up to, uh, you know, Olympia or Seattle area and fish. So tell me a little bit about the venues that, uh, that you pick. Uh, are you primarily out on the rivers or do you go to uh, reservoirs or where, where do you guys primarily like to fish? We really try to mix it up a lot. Um, that is our goal is, um, and especially if you look at our online challenges, um, which are each month has kind of a theme. Um, and what we're doing with that is we're really trying to figure out who is the most well-rounded angler, who can fish in different types of water for different fish and succeed. Um, so anything from little ponds to, uh, you know, big rivers like the Columbia or, or the Snake to, you know, smaller rivers like the, you know, the John Day or the Umpqua or um, the Coquille or, you know, one of those kinds of rivers. Um, and then up to the big reservoirs and, and natural lakes. Uh, you know, we try and mix it up every year where we, we're not doing a, a lot of repetitive of the same lakes, you know, year after year, which a lot of, a lot of bass boat clubs kind of get locked into that. We're a little more flexible about that. I, I think, as you mentioned earlier, we can fish different waters than, than some people can. Um, we, don't, we certainly don't have to worry about wake zones. <laughs> and, uh, and we don't have to worry about improved launches all the time. So, you know, some people do. Some people that have some of the bigger, heavier kayaks, um, they're going to want an improved launch. They're, they're bringing a trailer, and they're going to launch off a trailer, and, and they're going to want to use an improved launch to get on the water. But, um, you know, kayak fishing originates from the idea that you have this lightweight kayak that's maybe on top of your car or in the back of your pickup, and you go down a dirt road back in the woods some, somewhere and unload it and just go down to the bank and, and launch right there. And so, and that's allowed. As long as it's on public land, we don't allow anybody to trespass or go on private land um, or fish private waters. But as long as it's public waters and a, a public area that they're launching, they can launch wherever they want. And usually, um, with just a few exceptions, some places will do a shotgun start, but most places uh, we launch where we want. And so that's one of the uh, tactical advantages people can do. If they know where they want to go to fish, well, if they can launch uh, a mile or two closer, they're going to get there a lot sooner. And what about those folks that are, um, well, dipping their toe in the water, I guess. You know, they've gone to... Um, you know, maybe one of the sporting goods stores and, you know, they've bought, you know, a paddle type kayak. It, it, I've seen some out there called fishing kayaks. They don't look, they don't look like the ones that I've seen with the pedals, but they, you know, they, they, they seem like they would work. Would they be able to join in on, uh, on the tournaments? Absolutely. Um, I, I started with paddle kayak and I still have a paddle kayak. It's, you know, 
especially for small rivers, that, that would be preferred. Uh, the pedal drives don't work very well on small rivers because, uh, you know, rocky bottoms and rapids sometimes, you know, class one or class two rapids and pedals don't get along very well. Um, but yeah, we have a number of anglers that are still in paddle kayaks. It's, uh, you know, on certain lakes or, or big rivers where you want to cover a lot of water, uh, the pedal drive is an advantage, but on smaller bodies of water, it, it really isn't much of an advantage. The the only time it becomes a big advantage then is wind. If there's you know 10 plus mile an hour winds, the pedal drive uh, is really handy in, in that situation because it helps you maintain control of the boat, the positioning of the boat, and still keep your hands free to cast rather than putting your rod down, picking up a paddle and getting in position. I, I did that many times with my paddle kayak. It, it can be frustrating where, you know, you, you cast and then you're out of position. So you put your rod down, you pick your paddle up, you get back into position and you really only get one cast before the wind blows you out of position again. So uh, I, I don't miss that. Um, with my paddle kayak, it's, it's a lot easier. Um, we do also allow motors in our online tournaments and in our opens. We don't allow them in our tour events unless uh, it's somebody that's disabled and, and gets approval to have a motor. And even then, the motors, we're talking about um, electric motors, of course, and there's a limit on how, how powerful and how big they can be. Oh, interesting. I didn't realize that you even allowed that. I, I thought that it was all human power and that you, you know, move the move the boat around uh, on, you know, under your it's own power. Limited, uh, you know, we limit how much the motors can be used unless it's an open and then, then whatever, it doesn't really matter. But, uh, and that's, that's still a very contested thing in the kayak world. It's sort of the same thing we went through when pedal drives came out. Um, there were a lot of paddle people that were resistant to the pedal drives and said it's not fair, it's, um, you know, it's too big an advantage, they're too expensive, all this stuff. And I'm seeing the same arguments for some of the electric motors that are out there, um, you know, like the Torquedo or the Bixby, which are, are both uh, nice motors for, for kayaks. I think it'll change. I think eventually motors probably will be accepted the same way that pedal drives are, but I don't know. My crystal ball's not that great, but uh, but I suspect that that probably will happen. Now, on your... Um on your online challenges, now, you're not meeting in person as a group. You're picking an area and, and going out and going fishing. Is that right? Correct. That's the advantage to the online challenges. Those are great for those people that, you know, maybe they work on the weekends, um, so they can't ever really go to a tour event. Our tour events are always on a Saturday, our live tour events. So, you know, if you work in retail or something where you've you got to work weekends, um, it's going to be pretty tough to make those. So we've got some good alternatives for those people um, with the online challenges where some of them are month-long where you fish the whole month and you track all your fish for the month and the best five fish, uh, depending on what the theme of the challenge is, um, will pick a winner. Some of them are what we call a pick-your-day. So there's... Uh, five days to choose from, and you pick one day out of those five, and that's the day you fish. But your score goes up head-to-head -head against everybody who's fishing all five of those days. So, again, really great for those people that maybe can't get out as often, 
Um, and for people that have a schedule that doesn't allow them to fish certain days, well, then they can, they can kind of pick their day. And you're still comparing what you've done in, in one day. We just finished that in Oregon, our, our April pick your day, and uh, really great. I mean, one of our anglers had five fish all up over 18 inches. Um, so he had five big, largemouth that he was able to put on the board in one day. That's, that's, that's a good day. <laughs> that's a good day. You know, in the uh, boat uh, world, you know, as it were, you know, we put our five fish in the uh, live well, and they've got to come out live and that kind of thing, and then we've got to go put them back. In your series, how do you guys track your fish? Because certainly you're not carrying them around in a kayak with you. That's right. That's what I was just going to say when I, when I said that. You keep hearing me refer to inches, and, and that's why. Um, you know, and it, and it takes a little getting used to for the people who are more used to the bass boat world where they're thinking in pounds, in terms of pounds for fish. The kayak folks are really focused on inches, which, you know, it's a little different because you can catch a long, skinny fish, right? <laughs> and it's going to score well in ours. And in a bass boat tournament, it would not score very well. Um, but you can have vice versa, too. You know, you can have a 18-inch a, a fish that might have gone 8 pounds, you know, 8, 9 pounds. So it, it balances out, though. We're all doing it on that. So the way we do that, um, we call it CPR, or catch photo release. So we catch the fish. We have these measuring boards that are uh, manufactured. Um, everyone has to use certain brands and, and models of these boards. Um, so that everything's uniform. Uh, we lay the board down. We put the fish on the board. We push the fish up against the fence of the board, so its mouth and nose are up against the fence, and its mouth is closed. And then uh, we take a photo of it that shows where the tail ends on the measuring board. And it usually shows a card with uh, an identifier code for who the angler is and what uh, challenge they're fishing. Or in a tour event, same thing. We use those same identifier cards. Uh, and you get a, a picture, you check it, you make sure you've got what you need in the picture. Of course, there are rules about how you can hold the fish and what you can touch and what you can't touch. Uh, but once you get a good picture, then you just release the fish immediately. So that's another thing that, you know, kayak anglers kind of put a feather in their caps about compared to the bass boat world is, we're not retaining any fish for any period of time. You know, they're in the boat for maybe a minute, minute or two. That's about it. Um, you know, you take a couple hero shots for the for the photo if it's a big fish, and then you you let them go. Um, especially those fish that are caught during the spawn or something, um, and then kept in a live well, and they're far far away from their bed by the end of the day. Um, that doesn't happen with us. We let, we let them go right there where we caught them, and uh, they're back on their bed in just a few seconds. Yeah, I absolutely think that is, um, it, it should be a wave of the future. I have done a couple of, uh, of other interviews, and we've, we've talked about, you know, how, our, how bass are perceived. And, you know, frankly, by the... Uh, you know, uh, by the ODFW and Washington, that type of thing, you know, we're kind of the back seat, as it were, to cold water fishing. No doubt. And so, and so as I've talked to folks in the kayak world, it's, uh, it's just really neat that you're able to catch a fish, you're able to take your photos, you measure it, and you let it go. Put it right back to where it, where it was at. So it's, um, 
We do. Uh, we we love that aspect of it, and uh, you know we do pat ourselves on the back a little bit about it. That that it feels good to do that for you know just for a healthy fishery and keeping those fish where somebody else can come there and catch it another day. Yeah, and I I think that's a I think that's a, a great feather in your cap, and uh, and you should you should be very proud of it actually. Now tell me a little bit about joining kayak fishing Northwest. How would one go and join? Uh, on the website, you'll see a button right at the top that says uh, join, or you can go to the, to the store and you'll find a membership in there. So we require, in order to fish our tour events or our online challenges, our regular online challenges, uh, it does require a KFNW membership. Uh, you can do a single event membership, so if you just want to fish one event, you can pay $25 and get that membership and fish that event. And then pay an entry fee, of course, for the contest as well. Um, or you can buy an annual membership for $50. Uh, and that will let you fish as many tournaments as you want to for the whole season. Our entry fees, uh, for online challenges, they're usually $25. And for our tour events, they're usually $50. All of that money, um, almost all of that money, pays out the anglers. After we pay our, you know, PayPal fees, and we use software for, for judging these fish. Okay, so we were talking about uh, joining the club. So would you repeat the two different types of membership that's available? Sure. There's a, there's a $25 membership that will allow you to fish one event. Uh, you pay your $25 membership, and then you also pay um, an entry fee, uh, usually $25 for an online challenge or $50 for a live tour event. Uh, or you can buy a $50 membership, and that membership will allow you to fish as many tour events and online challenges as you want the whole season in all three states. Um, our entry fees, uh, pretty much all of that money goes to the anglers. That is in, in the prize money that they, that they win. We take out our fees, PayPal, and our uh, TourneyX application fees. TourneyX is the application that we use to, to judge fish online. Um, and then the membership fees go towards our permits, uh, our operating costs, um, you know, all the merchandise and stuff that we get, all of our awards and trophies and um, banners and artwork and, you know, everything else that we have to do, um, and all of our website costs as well, uh, and insurance too. Um, so it's a, you know, it's it's... For $50, you can fish in any of these tournaments, and, uh, and those tournaments are all what we call uh, AOI tournaments. So we're going to track points for all of our tour events and all of our online challenges, and we're going to track those Angler of the Year points for each angler throughout the year, and at the end of the year, we'll name uh, an Angler of the Year based on who has the best points. We'll, we'll name an Angler of the Year for online and an Angler of the Year for tour events because they do tend to be, a lot of people fish both. They fish the online and the tour events, but then there are a number of people who really focus on one or the other. Um, so we'll usually name two Anglers of the Year in each division, uh, each state, uh, based on those points. Well, I hope that uh, that folks that are uh, 
listening to the podcast and, and that they're getting involved or they're involved with kayak fishing, I hope that they will look up the uh, kayakfishingnorthwest.com uh, website, and I hope that they uh, they join up with you. Now, just as an example, though, you were, we were talking about how numbers are booming and that kind of thing. Um, you you have a current tournament coming up, and because this is going to be out for a while, we won't tell the exact date, but it's uh, here in, in uh, late April now or mid-April, and that tournament is already full, right? I mean, there's uh, there's no more spots. It is that uh, it's really unfortunate. I, I hate to turn people away, but um, we estimated a certain number of anglers that we were going to get based on previous years and based on our projections and um, people we had talked to. We kind of had an idea of how many people were going to sign up, and we reached that long before uh, registration was over. And so we looked at the bodies of water that were fishing for it, and we said, well, how many anglers can we really handle? So we increased that number by another uh, 18 anglers, and those, those other 18 slots went like, boom, like one day, gone. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well... We looked around some more to see if we could maybe add another body of water or do something, but we really, just really couldn't where we were fishing for that one. Um, we were kind of stuck geographically. Um, so, yeah, we had to cap it and say we can't, we can't take any, any more anglers for that event. Our other events for the season will handle more people. Um, I'm not really worried about us exceeding the capacity of those bodies of water. Uh, you know, and we learned our lesson from that. We we have to account for that in our scheduling from now on and make sure that the bodies of water we're choosing can handle a, a higher number of anglers because it's happening. And it's not just Oregon. We're seeing the same kinds of number boost in, in Washington and Idaho. Idaho's a little, they're a newer club, so their numbers are a little smaller, but still we're seeing probably close to double what they were last year. Um, in in all three states. Well, I would think too that uh, some some of the Oregon anglers and Washington anglers, you know, it's not a long drive to to get to Idaho. You know, I mean, you can be there in a day. So that's right. That's right. And uh, one of the things I didn't mention that is another benefit of of this arrangement that we have, where we're one organization in three states, is boundary waters. Right. We've got the Columbia, and we've got the Snake that are both boundary waters. Um, between two states. And so our online challenges, uh, you can fish both states. You, you can fish like you could fish like four online challenges at once. So you catch one fish and you've got four codes on that card for four different online challenges and you can submit that photo for four different online challenge tournaments at the same time. Um, and if you were fishing a live event, then technically you could do five. <laughs> if you're fishing it in the Columbia or the Snake, where you're on a boundary water, because you can fish it, you can submit it in Washington and in Oregon for both the monthly and for a season-long online challenge. And then if it happened to be a tour event that was on the Columbia, well, then you could submit it into a tour event for, for that, too. So you can double, triple, quadruple, sextuple dip um, and, and there are people who have benefited greatly from that and, and won the online challenge in a couple of states and gotten a hefty paycheck for, uh, for doing so. 
Well, so I, I mean, that just, uh, you know, that has increased the fun. So I, I hope that folks that are listening to this and that they're, um, you know, if they're looking at, uh, you know, warm water fishing and they're trying to decide whether or not they want to get involved with a boat, and, they, you know, I can tell you that the cost of owning a, mo a motorized boat is uh, crazy expensive at times, uh, you know, just, just filling it up with uh, uh, premium non-alcohol fuel can, can can sometime cost me $75. So That's right. Uh, it's those ongoing costs that, uh, I mean, some of the kayaks can be pretty expensive, initial, your initial purchase. Um, you know, $2,500 for a pedal kayak is not unusual, and some of the really high-end ones go get up close to 5000 So, you know, you can spend uh, a pretty hefty chunk off the bat, but you can also buy a, a really nice um, paddle kayak for under $1,000. Um, and you can buy a used kayak for a, a really good used kayak for, for $500. Um, and you can buy some entry-level kayaks for, for three, four, five hundred $500. So there's all different levels that you can get into um, this world. Uh, but then it's those ongoing costs. You know, we don't have fuel costs except for driving to the, to the lake or the river. Um, we don't have the maintenance costs that uh, yeah. that a boat does. Nothing, not, not anywhere near it. You know, we might wear a hole in a kayak and have to plastic weld it. That's that's about the extent of our complicated uh, mechanics. I mean, some of the pedal drives, yeah, you might have to repair those once in a while, but even then, it's it's pretty minimal cost. Yeah. Now we've got a few questions. I always like to ask, uh, kind of at the end, and. Um, and I appreciate all this information because it's been a lot. You know, we've we've spent about half an hour here or so talking about this, and and you know, hopefully people are uh, interested in it. And um, you know, I'd like to I'd like to fill up a few more of your tournaments. You know, make it make your life a little more difficult. But um, we appreciate uh, that. Yeah. So one of the one of the questions that I always like to ask is, what's the most unusual thing you've ever caught? Let's see. You know, I've been, I've thought about it. I don't want I don't even want to say it <laughs> because I don't want to jinx myself. But I know a lot of people who have, who have hooked into strange creatures um, that they weren't intending to hook. Um, and knock on wood, I really haven't hooked into any strange creatures yet. Um, it, you know, and I've fished a lot over my whole life. Um, but uh, what have I caught that's weird? Um, probably like... Uh, animal bones. I've caught in Arizona, it wasn't unusual to pull up a, a jawbone of a bighorn sheep or, um, you know, some part of a skeleton of some animal that had uh, met its end in, in, the, in the water there. Um, that's probably about as strange as, as it gets. My, my uncle hooked a uh, great blue heron <laughs> trout fishing and it took off with his trout and uh it just flew away with it <laughs> wow i uh i was just interviewing a uh a gentleman on my last podcast it was uh we were talking about walleye fishing and uh his it was actually his wife that hooked into a very expensive drone that had sunk to the bottom oh, of wow. uh of the channel and uh, they were able to pull the drone out and actually return the the, uh, the card to the owner. He wanted the card back more than the drone, although the drone was a couple thousand dollars. 
So that would have been um, that would have been a tough tough loss for me. Um, so that one's that one's kind of taking the uh, the top prize right now is catching that, that drone. Yeah, that would do it. Now, if you only had one lure that you could take for the day, what would it be? One lure for the day. Well, what am I fishing for? Am I fishing for largemouth? Am I fishing for smallmouth? Uh, what? Either one. Either well, one. Uh, I I would say. I think probably the thing that I can most consistently count on catching something is probably a senko. I can almost always find some fish throwing a weightless senko. That's pretty safe, pretty safe one. Yeah, I um, I usually will take a tube myself, but uh, sure. Sure. yep, very similar or a fluke. You know, they're all yep. kind of real similar in how you could fish them. Yeah, but yeah, that's a, that's usually right in the category. Well, Marvin, this has been a great. Uh, a great little podcast. I appreciate your uh, your time, and uh, I hope that folks will will look up kayakfishingnorthwest.com. I will have it in the show notes. So if you missed the address, just check the show notes, and uh, and I will have it in there. And uh, you'll be able to look look up the website. And I hope uh, I hope some folks I hope some folks join up with you. Well, I do too. I really appreciate the the shout out and. Uh... Hopefully we can maybe get you out here one of these days too. Never know. You never know. I uh, I like to fish and I like to fish a lot. So you never know. I've been been looking at, at kayaks and I've been thinking about it. So who knows? We you might see me out there. We we can set you up. We can get we can get you in a loaner and and get you out there on the water. There you go. Uh, our charity event is in July. That'd be the perfect time. It's an open, so you wouldn't even need a membership. And, and money raised for charity. So, yeah, what can go wrong there? There you go. Well, Marvin, thank you, thank you for the interview. I appreciate your time. Thanks a lot, Don. And there he goes, Marvin Forte. I'd like to thank Marvin for his time. And in case you missed what CPR means in the world of kayak fishing, it means catch, photograph, and release. I think that the Kayak fishermen are great stewards of our fishery by putting the fish back, and especially when they're putting the fish back right near where they caught them. I think that's a great way to take care of our fishery. Well, this wraps up this episode of Talking Bass and PDX. For show ideas or feedback, email me at gonefishingpdx at gmail.com. And I will get right back in touch with you. Thanks, everybody. Until next time, this has been Don Clark, Talking Bass, and I will see you on the backcast.